For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I almost want to start this podcast with the 8-clap, but my upbringing as a Trojan fan, as an Oregon Duck, just won't allow me to do that. But instead, I'll just say congratulations to UCLA, picking up the win against Stanford and showing us all, you know what, the bottom of the Pac-12 may be not as bad as we thought. Welcome, everybody, to Believe in the Pac-12, recapping Week 8 in Pac-12 football. My name is Jonathan Rifkind. I'm joined by Ryan Leaf. And Ryan, I know I started off talking about UCLA, but this was another very intriguing week, and I know this is the motif of Pac-12 football. How do you want to start? You have to start with Oregon and Washington, the best football game on the slate, and it lived up to every expectation, right? It, neither team turned the football over. They played as mistake-free. It was about great football players. It was about great coaching and adjustments that were made. And it, to be in a hostile environment such as Husky Stadium and to be down 14 points in the third quarter, Mario Cristobal, Marcus Arroyo, that football team decided, hey, we're going to ride what is the best part of our team, and that's that offensive line. They hadn't done it all year long like they did in this game, and they started giving it to those running backs and letting the offensive line pave the way for first and second down. And then they put Justin Herbert in third down situations, situational football, which is exactly what he's going to have to do a year from now while he's in the NFL, and he completed the football. And they moved down the football field. They had to go for it on fourth down in their own backyard uh, on their side of the field. They get it done and they absolutely punished them the rest of the way through the game. Stop Washington Jacob Eason on that final drive and win you know, the biggest football game in the Mario Cristobal era uh, and, and, and continue to rise up the, the charts, the rankings, and it probably solidified their uh, stranglehold on the Pac-12 North that they're going to be the, the participant in the Pac-12 championship uh, in December. Marcus Arroyo redeemed himself in my mind. You know, I have been a critical member of the media in terms of his play calling over the last few seasons, whether it was with Willie Taggart towards the end of Mark Helfrich's year after um, after Scott Frost left to go to UCF, and even to this point in the season. And then they come and they orchestrate, like you said, this incredible comeback drive in fourth down. Herbert executes perfectly. They play to the strength, the offensive line. As you mentioned, they play to the strength. Good wide receiving core. I mean, you saw 24 receptions from almost 10 different receivers. That's distribution. That's how you keep the defense on their toes. And you show that you can utilize all the assets that you have to be successful. And against a Washington team that does defend the pass pretty well overall, to be able to execute the way that they did in the time that they did is what really spoke to me about this game. Yeah, they, they've always... Uh, let's say, under Mario Cristobal, underachieved in these big games, right? Stanford a year ago when they were winning it. Auburn, uh, this year while they were winning the football game, 
those types of games they had to win to solidify their season. Even last year playing Washington State after the big win against Washington, and they couldn't get it done. They are they were a Jekyll and Hyde type of football team. They've really solidified themselves as a consistent football team. They have the size, the speed, the strength, and even when what was their biggest strength everybody thought was their defense giving up 31 points. Uh, they gave up more points in this game than they had done in the previous five games, 25 points. And the offense responded. And they were it was a complete team effort, and they've set themselves up with an opportunity to be considered a college football playoff contender. Now, in that conversation, right, they could lose a, a Pac-12 game from this point on and still be the Pac-12 champion, the, the Pac-12 North champion, all of that. But if they lose another game, they're not going to be in the college football playoff discussion. Therefore, I don't know if there's a another team in this conference that has more pressure on them to win week in, week out now if they're going to be in that talk. When that conversation happens – and Oregon is now becoming a serious part of that conversation. What is, I mean, is that the most pressure this team has faced up to this point in the season? Because you can lose to Auburn, and then everybody's like, okay, the Pac-12 is not going to have a team, and Oregon can go on and beat the Pac, the rest of the Pac-12. But the pressure that they face isn't the same, because perceptually, nobody was talking about them as seriously as they're about to be talked about for college football playoff consideration. I mean, I don't know about that. I think people were considering Oregon they, they picked them to win the conference it just you know the Auburn game was a huge piece of that and they didn't get it done and now Auburn plays LSU this weekend and we decide if Auburn really is uh, a good loss for Oregon you know when it's all said and done does Auburn have four losses and you look at it like okay you know that's not very good if they're you know if the fourth best team in the SEC beats the best team in the Pac-12 right. that doesn't sway a lot of voting um you know, optimism in the committee room, I think. And that's going to be uh, the bigger issue right now. And I think what's most important is Justin Herbert coming back, um, getting to play these big games, winning them, and now has an opportunity to play for a Pac-12 championship and a chance to go to the Rose Bowl. And I think if if you were a young kid growing up in the shadows of Autzen Stadium, living in Eugene, uh, it would be a dream come true how this season has played out. And uh, I'm excited to see what it looks like. Washington State's been really good against Oregon. And then they go to USC. And USC, uh, strangely enough, is in the driver's seat to win the South. The funniest thing that could happen is if you have a 9-3 and USC team at the end of the season and a 11-1 and Utah team, and Utah doesn't go to the Pac-12 championship, right. but rather USC. And then you talk about Oregon playing a 9-3 and USC team, you know. But if that were to happen, they're gonna, they would have to have beat Oregon right. two weeks from now. So it's going to be interesting. Just because of this game ended uh, on Saturday doesn't mean that the Oregon intrigue doesn't continue week in, week out. Keep the ducks in the back of your minds. I always do, but that's because I have a bias. Uh, Oregon won 35-21 over Washington. Washington, of course, drops out of the rankings. I saw Ryan's rankings this morning on Twitter. You have Oregon in your top eight. I think you had them eighth last week as well. Yeah, I had them eighth last week. I had them as the best uh, one-loss football team in the country. So with Wisconsin losing, right. they dropped down significantly. And I, I hate to do that lately, but that the Illinois game is – is one of those games that constantly haunts a Wisconsin Badgers team. They were looking ahead to Ohio State. They're going to go to the horseshoe this weekend. The game's not going to be as meaningful as it once was. They're going to have two 
conference losses probably, which sets up my Golden Gophers. Oh yeah, you know, and uh, and it it puts in perspective what Oregon is capable of doing. I think they're the seventh best team in the country right now. I think they're actually capable of probably beating a few of those teams in the top six um, if given the opportunity. And I will say that if this Oregon team goes to twelve and one and wins the Pac-12 conference and is the first undefeated conference champion um, in the Pac-12's history and doesn't get into the college football playoff, that's ultimately going to force the re, you know, the reassignment expansion of, expansion yeah. of what, what that looks like. It just Because you can't have that happen. You can't have a conference champion like that that is willing to schedule a team like Auburn in week one, and when they lose it, they're – what they're saying is, as soon as that game was over, their season was over. And yet they went and won 12 in a row to call the year. And what you're telling them then is, hey, you know, schedule Montana State. Don't schedule Auburn. Because right. guess what? Then they would have been 13-0. and And how can you keep them out then? I mean, is that taken into consideration when the College Football Playoff Committee talks? Are they like, okay, Oregon was two yards away from beating Auburn to open up the season. Then they go and they, they beat everybody else. How much do those two yards come into consideration when the college football playoff committee really looks at Oregon season? It'd be crazy if they have to take them into consideration that much. It shouldn't, right? They played as good a football game, and I and I guarantee if you would have run those two teams out ten times, Oregon wins nine of them. Yep. So uh, it would be the touchstone in a transition and an expansion conversation. 35-31 Ducks over the Huskies in – what every Oregon fan sees as their biggest rival of the football season, of course, Oregon State, uh, is the rival in state. But Washington, over the last few years, has just been, has really been the Ducks' uh, Achilles' heel on the on the gridiron. All right, let's. I coined I coined the uh, rivalry. Now it's the riot for Rainier. <laughs> wow, that's great. Mm-hmm. We got to get that one out of, out here. You got to trademark it. We'll get some shirts. We'll maybe we'll sell it back up to the schools. That's that's genius, Ryan. <laughs> Business idea. Don't copy it. If anybody copies it, I have a copyright. Oh, there it's 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 already in the works. Yep. Uh, Arizona State, Utah. Utah wins twenty-one to three. They move up a spot to twelve in the nation. Arizona State still in top twenty-five, uh, but they didn't really look as offensively touted as they have been up to this point in the season. But Utah's defense is really good. We know, and uh, and I think that that really speaks more to Utah than, than it does to Arizona State. No, it definitely does. That defense for Utah since the loss to USC really took a good look in the mirror and, and have done some special things. I mean, they, they made Jaden Daniels finally look like a freshman quarterback. Now, the weather didn't help. It really played into what um, Utah likes to do, and that's run the football. And, uh, you know, 14-3 to late in the football game, they get a one final stop, and then Zach Moffs breaks loose and, and breaks the school record for rushing in that moment. But, you know, Herm Redwards has done a good job of keeping the games close. This was one that finally got away with it, got away from him. They go back home and lick their wounds a little bit, and then see a, uh, um, you know, they still got to see USC. Um, they still got to see um, a few of these other teams that can play a, play a big part in what their season looks like. Only two losses right now, five and two, sitting in a good spot uh, in the South. They're gonna have to wait and see how these things all play out. I don't see Utah losing another football game, uh, other than the possibility of them when they go to when they go to Washington in two weeks. Um, to think that Washington would be a team with three losses right now and the possibility of four on the horizon makes for a very disappointing season for Chris Peterson 
and the Washington Huskies. And for Utah and Kyle Whittingham, they have put themselves in an a unbelievable position, not having to play Oregon. Uh, unfortunately, they don't control their own destiny. They need to see some things play out. Washington, Utah will play at 1 o'clock, kickoff two weeks from now. Oregon, USC at 5. So you'll, you'll know going into that Oregon-USC game whether or not USC needs to win that football game. Because if Utah falls to Washington, USC can still lose that football game right. and win the South. So it's going to be really interesting in the next couple of weeks. Um, going to be fun to watch Utah. Right now, Utah and Oregon are on a collision course to meet in the Pac-12 championship, which I think would be great because it would be a top-10 matchup, I think, for the Pac-12 title, which would get – give a lot of credence to the conference and then the winner would be discussed and entertained for the college football playoff currently the fpi for espn which you could take with a grain of salt has oregon with a 68 percent chance to win the pac-12 utah with a 19 percent chance usc at 13 percent arizona state ucla and washington state all with 0.01 and then every other team in the pac-12 arizona cal colorado oregon state stanford and washington with a zero percent chance at this point in the season, I did not expect UCLA's odds to win the Pac-12 to be higher than Washington. Obviously, it's not going to happen, uh, but it just sort of speaks to the craziness that is the Pac-12, I think. Yeah, I mean, the South has been chaotic. Last year, I think it came down to the final two games, and UCLA was still mathematically relevant in the South conversation. And again, they can be. There's a lot of games to be played left. There's five football games to be played left. Uh, UCLA did what, it's needed, what it needed to do on the road against Stanford. Um, I, I think that you probably give them the benefit of the doubt more when they're on the road than when they are at home because it's just it's an empty vessel when they play in the Rose Bowl. And when at least they go on the road, you know, there's a focus there that exists. And, you know, Stanford looked bad. Stanford looked really bad. Uh, they are, is, you know, injury... Um, Injury-ridden? Injury-riddled more than any other team out there. And... This conference may be the one conference where you cannot take what a team did the week before and carry it over in what you're looking at them to do right. in, the, in the next week. Like, you know, we're going to get into Cal, Oregon State briefly, but, you know, Cal's coming, out, Cal's coming off a bye week playing a team that just got embarrassed at home by 52 points. How does that play out? I mean, it just shows you that it doesn't matter week in, week out. You don't know what team's necessarily going to show up. I think Oregon's been the most consistent. Uh, even Utah, you didn't, you know, didn't show up in a USC game. I think USC has shown who they are every single week. They play the exact same football game. They've just gotten beat by better teams. Yep. Um, that's the difference right now. Is that teams don't? I don't know what team's going to show up week in and week out in this conference. So I can't go off what happened last week in determining what I think is going to play out for this week. We'll get into that on Thursday's podcast, but let's keep on rolling here with the uh, the week eight games. You mentioned Oregon State Cal, 21-17 for the boys from Corvallis. Not a game on the road that I would have expected. I don't think we really talked too much about this last week because the expectation, as you mentioned, was Cal coming off a bye. Oregon State's on the road. They're now 3-4 and four and 2-2 two and two in the Pac-12, which is crazy to think that Cal being 1-3, with that one win being in Washington, puts them at the bottom of the north. Well, technically tied with Washington State now that they beat Colorado. But still, I mean, the... The North standings with Oregon at number one, Washington at number two, and Oregon State right there, I mean, it's just almost shocking, especially with how the media poll played out to begin uh, this season. But I continue to sit here and say Jake Luton is a good quarterback, and that offensive 
that offensive style that you really, really enjoy, Ryan, is really starting to come into its own up in Corvallis, and it's it really showed in Berkeley. And this team, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're in a position this season to really do anything else than what they're doing. But if they sort of refine what they're doing and keep on building off of it, Oregon State could be one of those teams that, that could pull off a few upsets down the road in the Pac-12. And I see you shaking your head. You you disagree. I mean, th- <laughs> th- this this I, I agree with Jonathan Smith and what he's doing and the, the culture he's – but they, you know – Is that a talent thing? They just don't have no, the talent? No, this was a – this is – there hasn't been a significant as, – as a – as a much a significant injury to any team in this conference than what happened when Chase Garbers went down for Cal. Period. The team became utterly anemic on offense. They cannot generate anything. I can't. I think the name of the quarterback they put in at the end of the game was his last name was Brash. Yeah. I, I I can't be sure of that, but the kid looked like he was twelve. All right. I mean, they do not know what to do offensively without Chase Garbers. I've never seen a more significant injury affect a team uh, from being an undefeated top 25 football team to now being what a lot of people would consider a bottom bottom dweller of the Pac-12 conference because of that. I still think they're really, defensively they're as good as anybody out there. Evan Weaver, Cam Bynum, all those guys on defense. Unfortunately for them, they just they they don't know what to do offensively, and we haven't heard much out of Berkeley on one. Chase Garber's going to come back. It was an AC joint separation. You know, we just don't know where that's going to come from. Um, until that happens, you know, it's it's going to be much of what we saw against Oregon State, where um, I think the biggest takeaway for me, though, from Oregon State was how well defensively they played. I mean, they shut down a team that, that you should shut down, and, and then they scored points when they needed to against a very good defense. And so, yeah, we thought that they were going to move up and, and find ways to win a couple games. They won two games on the road at UCLA, at Cal. I wouldn't be surprised if they knock somebody off again uh, down the line. You know, it, it would. They're going to Washington State. That might be a really good football game. You know, I'm one that I had chalked up for a win for Washington State in that spot. So uh, they're going to get a couple wins here. They're not going to be, you know, in the conversation for competing for a division title or a conference title anytime soon. But you know, I think Jonathan Smith, when it's all said and done, is going to feel pretty good about how the season played out for him. And he could really be setting himself to go to a bigger program where he can use those resources to be more successful. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that happening. I don't see Jonathan Smith going anywhere. Um, it would ruin a ton. He's going to make it work there, or it's going to fail. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. I don't see him using Oregon State as a stepping stone, like let's say Boise State coaches have. Right. Uh, that's not what he does. Um, that's not who he is. He's a beaver, and that's why I think it's either going to work, or you know it's going to Jim Harbaugh it, where, you know, there's going to be a blemish on uh, the fact that he's a, a beaver. Right. You know, that's it's always hard when alumni take head coaching jobs in places where there's a ton of expectation. A ton and, of expectation and competition in the direct immediate area. Um, and, they, of course, they're going to lose out to Oregon for most of the recruits. And even Oregon State's struggling to, to recruit out of Southern California because the rest of the Pac-12 North is being really successful right now. By the way, you mentioned Spencer Brash, the freshman at Cal, who did play a couple of snaps. He's from Higley High School in Gilbert, Arizona. He was a three-star. He was the 16th-rated uh, dual quarterback in the nation from the class of 2019. So it's not like he doesn't have talent. Very unrefined, very raw. Needs a lot of time to really start uh, building off of. And uh, he looks like he's 12. Yes. I mean, he he looks. <laughs> he's a little bit of stubble. He looks. Uh, no. No. He looks like he my. He looks like my two-year-old child. 
in a uniform out there. It was, I did not know. I thought the kid was going to get killed. He was two for six for 24 yards and an interception. That's really good for a 1.3 quarterback rating. 21-17 Oregon State over Cal. We keep on rolling here, recapping week eight in the Pac-12. Washington State, Colorado. Must have been pretty happy with this result. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they needed to get some confidence back. It was at home. It was against a Colorado team that's really struggled. Steven Montez has at, at some points looked like he was as lost as anybody uh, playing quarterback in this league for a fifth-year senior. And and Anthony Gordon, you know, did his thing. Defensively, they rallied around the football. They made – they got turnovers. They made things happen. Um, you know, they, they forced Montez into two interceptions and only 120, 29 yards passing. So, um, you know, they didn't stop the run that well, but – they outscored them early, put them away early, and, and then finished it up towards the end. Big win for Washington State heading into this Oregon game this week. Has Steven Montez regressed over the course of the season? It, I don't know if he's regressed. I feel like this has been a, what he's been like his entire career, you know, where he goes and does amazing things against an Arizona State football team and then, you know, just absolutely disappears in games against – teams that they should beat. Arizona was nowhere to be found last week against Oregon and again against USC. So this year I would say there probably was a, a little bit of a regression uh, in that he's not bouncing back and having good games the next week, but actually compounding them with, with more negative ones. Um, so it was a much needed win for Washington State. Uh, they'll carry that through and now put themselves in a position to um, pull off a huge upset against a team that they've had a lot of success against the last few years. It's ironic to see Colorado where they are now after beating the then number 25 team, Nebraska, in the fashion that they did the second game of the season. And then, as you mentioned, when they went on the road to beat Arizona State uh, about four weeks ago. And now they're on a three-game losing skid, and I don't think it's going to change. They play USC next week. I think the Trojans are just a, a more dominant football team, and we'll get into that on Thursday's pod. There's something to be said about that. USC has not won a game on the road. It's going to be in the 30s and snowing you got a quarterback who's never played in any kind of weather like from that. Arizona. And Keaton Slovis from Arizona. I mean, it's a, it, it worries me. On a Friday, you know, that's just something. We're going to get into that Thursday. But that's, you know, they have not won a football game. They, they have no experience on what it's like to win on the road yet at USC, and Keaton Slovis in particular. And, man, playing in the mountains, like you said, not only with the weather but at altitude, it's a whole different game. Let's get into that USC game really briefly here. 41-14 at homecoming in the Coliseum. USC puts up double-digit points in all but the second quarter where they scored seven. Arizona got uh, two garbage-time touchdowns in the fourth, and they benched Khalil Tate. What would you think about that decision? You know, it's, it's – I said this before the year started. If, if – and Kevin Sumlin and his staff believe this. If they could have played anybody else other than Khalil Tate, they would have. They just didn't have anybody ready. They just there was such a, a situation between the a conflict between the coaches and Khalil Tate and everything that went down a year ago and his unwillingness to con, conform to what they wanted to do offensively. And going into the season, there wasn't a lot of confidence. But you know, to to play the way that he did against USC says. I think more about what USC is capable of doing than it does about Arizona, but it quickly shows us that, that Kevin Sumlin is, is okay with playing, you know, Gunnell. And he threw him in there and let him throw almost for 200 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. So it's it was what I expected. I picked them to cover. 
um, by the double digits. They did by a lot. They put themselves in a great position. They go on the road and play Colorado this week and then bring in uh, an Oregon team that very well could be the uh, primetime game that, 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 that Saturday. We'll see. It's a 5 p.m. Pacific kickoff game. But, you know, Arizona looks like the team that we thought they were going to be. They're, you know, 4-3. and three. Uh, They got the schedule that they have the rest of the way. I had them as a 6-6 six and six football team, so it's kind of seemingly falling into place here. The, I don't expect too much more from them. Uh, I expect them to win the games that they're supposed to win and and then lose the games that they're supposed to lose right now. I don't I don't foresee them doing anything too shockingly moving forward. Before we wrap this up, you were on the call for the BYU-Boise State game this past weekend. Boise State takes the loss in what was a really, really exciting game of football. Man, the Mountain West has its moments, man, let me tell you. I've been on the firm on the firm front end that Boise State needs to join a Power 5 conference, obviously probably the Pac-12, find a way to expand it or exchange somebody, but I don't know who you exchange, especially with the recent additions of Colorado and Washington State. But Boise State dropped eight spots in the ranking after that loss. They're still a dominant team. What would you take away from that game? Because I don't think a lot of people realize how impactful the Boise State-BYU game was, not from a college football playoff perspective, but just from a col- the landscape of college football. Well, yeah, it's the group of five, right? It's the uh, New Year's Six group of five team we're talking about here. Boise State had a stranglehold on it. Now, they had to play their backup quarterback. Uh, their star running back got injured in the second quarter. And BYU was back against the wall, three losses in a row, homecoming, uh, you know, terrible weather football game it just all things were ripe for possible upset and that's exactly how it played out uh BYU is a seven point underdog and they showed up they were also playing their third string quarterback uh a walk-on in in Baylor Romney and and they just this was another game of 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 clean football game well executed we're starting to see that in week eight week nine teams that have played together for quite a while not making as much mistake. If you don't make mistakes and you do the things you're supposed to do, there's a good chance you win the football game. When you don't, you lose. Boise State turned it over a couple times, uh, and, and they ended up losing the football game, being upset, uh, dropping out of the un- ranks of the undefeated, and now are, are playing catch-up with the other group of five teams to get back in that conversation for the New Year's Six Bowl game. Does the group of five need more to, to be more known nationally? Definitely. In my, in my, if you look at my top 25, they are ever-present uh, in the bottom half of it. They are. They have, I think, my top, my top uh, um, group of five team is SMU. Uh, that's sitting at uh, 16, followed by Cincinnati at 18, App State at tw- 19, Boise State at 20, San Diego State at 21, and Memphis at 23. So they are very present in that position um, coming down the stretch. And they're all going to get the opportunity. The greatest thing that may happen out of this, and I and I, I don't know why I say greatest, but is App State has a good chance. The only problem with them is that it's the highest-ranked conference champion, and they have to play South Carolina towards the end of the year. And if they were to lose that game and be an 11-1, and 12-1 conference champion, right. that loss late in the year may pop them behind somebody like maybe Boise jumps into it uh, and Boise's losses to a BYU team where – you know, App State's losses to a South Carolina team. So it, it will be interesting how it plays out. Um, the group of five is very good, and, and, and Cincinnati may be the best of them. Their only loss is to a uh, really good Ohio yeah. State football, football team. So uh, that's, that's what makes college football so fun. You just you don't know how it's going to play out, and those football teams are very good. All right, I think we'll leave it there. The Pac-12 
ends week eight with three teams ranked in the top 25. Arizona State at 24, Utah at 12, Oregon a crime only moving up one spot. They're coming down, coming back on the road uh, to beat Washington. They move up to 11. Join us on Thursday when we preview week nine. It's going to be a really good one. A lot of implications once again on the line as we get into the back end of the Pac-12 football season. But until then, thank you to the Believe Podcasting Network. And to all of you listeners, please rate, review, and subscribe across all listening platforms. For Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkin. We'll talk to you on Thursday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.